The following podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The following program is not ashamed of the gospel and is about to tell you the truth. Hey guys, what do women really want in a man? Not what do we tell you we want, what do we think we want, but what do we actually respond to? What is it that turns us on? What is attractive to us? Number one, she wants a man who can stand up to her. If you can't stand up to a woman, you can't stand up for a woman. So you have to be able to stand up to her so she can trust that you can stand up for her. Number two, along those lines is a man who can actually say no to her. Because a man who can say no is not going to be a Mr. Nice Guy who's passively, aggressively manipulating her by being nice and agreeing with her to try and get what he wants. If you can say no to a woman, then she will trust that your yeses are authentic. Three. Three is being authentic, being sincere. This means that sometimes you'll agree and sometimes you won't agree with her. So she can actually trust that what you're telling her is true. What does a woman need to feel safe? She needs to be able to feel safe emotionally, which means she needs to be able to trust your words and actions. Four is congruent. But what I mean by congruency is that what you speak of, what you say matches up with your actions, which brings us to number five. You are secure within yourself and don't need to compromise yourself to please her. Now, this doesn't mean that you never please her. Of course you do. You need to be able to say no again, and basically you don't apologize for who you are. Number six, again, along the same lines, you don't compromise your own standards or your own value system. So if there's a disagreement or if there's some area of conflict, you're not going to fold just because you want to please her. If it's something that important to you, you'll stand firm, even if it means losing her. She needs you to be her rock. Number seven is that she needs you to be able to lead the relationship. And part of that includes making decisions. So you're not always going to make decisions that she's happy with. You may have to actually make compromises. That's what happens in relationships. But she needs to know that you can lead the relationship. Eight, women need a man who will ask for clarification and not make assumptions. Don't make assumptions. Ask, clarify, and then go from there. Nine, women want and need a man who has their own opinions and doesn't always agree with them. So again, if you can trust that you don't have to always agree, then she can trust that what you're saying is true and real. Pastor Walt, our discussions the past three weeks has been around the wounds of a man. And I I really enjoy uh, our conversations because I learned something about myself. Because, you know, I mean, let's be honest. I think all men have some wounds, right? I mean, is that what you've discovered? Yeah, without question. There's very few that don't have something in their life, a wound from a father, a, a distorted view of God, a wound from a woman. All those kinds of things do impact us. You just did a retreat, and I'm curious how that turned out. In fact, it was all men, uh, ages for what, 18 through? 14 was the youngest. 14 was the youngest, 80, okay. 80 plus was the oldest. Yeah. 
Did he fall asleep? Yes, he did. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I just remember that. But he wasn't the only one. <laughs> okay. But you had a lot of young men. What did you say to them? What was your theme, and what did you learn from this retreat? Well, the last retreat we did was a man and his wounds, and I call that the father wound because it usually relates back to our father. Whatever our relationship with our father is, good or bad, there are wounds. Our fathers are human. And then on the way back, I got a lot of questions from the young guys riding in my truck. How do I approach a woman? How do I ask a woman out? How old should I be when I date, when I ask her out? Where should I take her? So I thought, this is part of a bigger theme, the man and the woman. And I really grappled with that for a while because I could say the man and his woman, but a lot of these guys don't have a woman. So I'm just thinking of sort of that Adam and Eve perspective is there's the man, you know, what is he doing? What's his job? And there's a woman, what is she doing? What's her job? And then how do we make that connection between the two? So what is the responsibility of a man? And he sees a woman and he's attracted and how does he approach her? You know, I think our conclusion unofficially to this series so far is that men really don't know who they are as men. And we've hit a lot of different themes on that. I Googled that this morning. In the Bible, what does the Bible say about what a man is? And here's just a couple. Psalm 1, does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Titus talks about a man being a model of good works. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that men are to model in behavior. So it's a big thing, and I don't think we spend enough time really telling men who they are. We don't, and I've made a commitment to this, and I've become more passionate about it all the time to get men to see you have an enemy who wants to destroy you, destroy your life, and make you useless. And for the most part, I would say Satan is extremely successful in this in our culture right now. He's destroying us. The foundation of our culture is the family. That is God's unit. I won't back off of that. Hmm. That's God's perfect design. And there are so many other options out there for men. So many, so much temptation, so many imitations and counterfeits of what manhood is all about. It's a problem that affects everybody. It affects the wife, the children, the whole structure of society. We can just talk about that in the prison system. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of prisoners are men. That's just one example of how it affects our culture. You know, since 50% of all marriages today end in divorce, a lot of these guys are coming out of just some very dysfunctional homes. Unless we, as the church, address that on an ongoing basis, because you can talk all day about, you know, the family is the bedrock of society and all that, and they're looking at it and go, huh? What do you mean? It wasn't my experience. No, men just don't know what to do. They have no direction. A lot of them don't have fathers in their life because of the breakdown of the family. And it's a, perpetu- it's a problem that perpetuates itself, and it's a problem that grows. And so you have this dysfunctional man, and he, maybe not even in his son's life at all, maybe they're divorced, maybe he's there, but he's not present. And then this young man turns around, and has two or three sons, and then it multiplies out. It seems there's so much contagion in our culture. Look at the transgender movement. It's spreading like wildfire. We go from 0.2% of the population, and now 
in some states they're coming up with statistics 60 percent of young girls are saying they're transgender it just really doesn't even mean what it used to mean it just means i'm sexually fluid Mm -hmm. what confusion that causes and the bible has the answer it brings us back to the root idea of what is a man and men are very simple creatures i think they respond well to clear instruction and to orders and they, you know, they got that kind of military mindset. They can receive orders and act upon those orders. And the Bible has some very specific things to say about what a man is supposed to do. You know, Pastor Walt, it's interesting in my lifetime. I look back in my in my life in the 60s, you know, we got into drugs and illicit sex. And then we got into all kinds of things. And you know what the devil is doing now, even though that's still a part of our society, he's gone after the sexuality. Isn't it interesting how he has progressed? 60% of the girls, my goodness, that think they're fluid or, or both transgender. I mean, that... That really messes with people's minds. Yeah, and imagine the confusion that it causes in a man. And then there's people who are having children, having sons, and they're saying right off the bat, I'm going to raise this boy as a girl. We are going to have some really messed up people over the next couple of decades. And there's a pressure to silence us. This is cancel culture. They have perfected cancel culture Mm -hmm. throughout the pandemic. Cancel Mm -hmm. culture went on steroids. Everybody is getting canceled. I don't see an end to it. There are some people who are, they're fighting it. But even the church has buckled to this. They don't want to touch these issues, these sensitive issues of homosexuality and transgenderism. There's no real solid teaching out there on what is a man. And a lot of pastors don't want to touch the issues, but they don't want to touch these issues of gender because they're going to be accused of putting women down, of teaching men to be chauvinistic Mm -hmm. or domineering. Just the slightest bit of language about the role of a man oftentimes gets me some feedback that people resent it, women resent it. You know, we're, we're going to live equal in our home. We're not equal. We're different. We're, we are complementarian, which is a, it's a you know, buzzword that talks about our, our, our roles in the home and the roles in the church. But we are complementarian. We mm-hmm. are different. That word has sort of been hijacked to mean something theologically. But men are constructed different than women. We are made to come together, to fill different roles, to have a family, to have children. I've learned since my little three-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter has joined us for a short vacation, and I notice that she learns by what she hears and sees. And her mother always says, hold on, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. So now this three-year-old says, Grandpa, hold on a minute. You know, so you can see how impressionable young minds and hearts are. And I had the chance of talking to two millennials the other day. They're both in their early 30s. And I asked them about men, how they view men. And what I'm about to say and and how they responded has to do with having men become more sensitive. But I think the caveat here is that we don't want to make men into women. Because I've resented that. I, I've resented how men have gone so far into the feminine kind of uh, camp and less in the masculine. But what they said about sensitivity is very important. They said they saw men having a hard time being vulnerable, and society doesn't allow men to have a sensitive side unless you're gay. 
they are even having a difficult time getting their husbands to open up and talk about sensitive issues. Is this what you're finding with these young men that you're working with? The thing I'm finding most of them is they're just confused. Mm-hmm. They're just confused and they're just trying to figure out their way and navigate their way in, in the world. It's a woman's world. I don't care what people say. It's a woman's world. The house is the woman's mm-hmm. place. Imagine for a moment that a woman comes out to a, a man's garage and she starts to kind of mess around with stuff and use stuff. And he starts to say, wait a minute, that doesn't belong there. Put that back, clean that, don't touch that. That's how men experience the home life. Mm-hmm. Don't touch this, don't sit here. Mm-hmm. All these rules. Men don't do well with rules. <laughs> Think about little boys. They can get really naughty. They right. don't like rules mm-hmm. and they don't like to be boxed in. And so from youth on up, We feel like we're in a woman's world and there's no longer a place for us to run wild and explore and just be men. So men are confused. I've used this example several times because you gave it to me. You said that in your home that your wife makes about 95% of the decisions. Well, and I understand that. When you said that, it went off in my head, ding. He's right. My wife makes about 95% of the decisions. But are we abdicating something here? Or is it just natural for the woman to have that kind of authority when it deals with the family? No, I don't think a man's abdicating on that. What I think he's doing, if he's doing his job right, he's creating an environment for her to make those decisions. So he's providing, he's protecting, he's creating a place where he's making a home for her. He goes out and he works and he makes sacrifices for his family so that she can make make the home that she wants to have. I heard that since the 70s, women have become less and less happy. Hmm. And all of this talk about the role of women and women's rights and feminism and those kinds of things have not made women happier. They've made them more miserable. Mm-hmm. And I think even women have that confusion about what is my role and where do I find my place in the world? And so I was talking to one of the older ladies in the church, and she said, it's true, in my home, I do make 95% of the decisions. And sometimes my husband and I don't agree on something, and I yield to him. He makes that decision, hmm. and I submit to that. That's a nasty word. We don't like that word, submit. But it works wow. very well, and they're yeah. very, very happy yeah. in their marriage. Well, I think in any kind of organization, there is an authority. You know, you do have a boss or a committee or somebody you answer to. And I think the scriptures teach we answer to one another, but, you know, in general things, right? I mean, there are things my wife says and does that I I had no clue on. She's much more competent on some things, but then on other things, I'm more competent. So we kind of understand that, I think, as you've been married a while. That's the issue there, is too many men, when it is their time and opportunity to step up, are just sitting in the corner on the couch watching television or staring at their phone in a moment of need or in a moment of crisis when sometimes they have to step in because my wife corrects me i sometimes need to correct my wife Mm -hmm. that's a that can cause a lot of conflict but as we have grown together we've been more receptive at least I hope I have, more receptive to the correction of the other person. So just a quick example, I'm driving down the road with my wife and I, and we're going somewhere. And she says, when we get there, 
I want you to understand that I'm just making some judgments about this. I'm not rejecting it. That's fair enough. I said, what I want you to do is if I like something, I don't want you to shoot it down right away. So probably earlier in our marriage, it would have been a lot of conflict. But we just both said, okay, we agreed to that. And the situation went great. Mm -hmm. But I can't just sit there as a man and say, all right, honey, you just make all the decisions and I have nothing to say about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's part of the issue is when you don't know your role, you really don't know what to say. Sometimes you stuff it inside, then it comes out sideways and men lose their temper and they storm away. They don't feel that they're heard. And so they do withdraw and they kind of get into a shell. What these two young women were saying as well is that men are not vulnerable at all. They talk about sports or they talk about, you know, maybe their their work or something, but they don't talk about feelings. And they said that a woman has almost instantaneous vulnerability with other women. And they get together, they can flow with all kinds of themes and topics, and nobody feels threatened. And that's a difference. I think men feel threatened when they talk about issues. I remember, Pastor Walt, when I was a pastor, I'd go to pastor's meetings, all men, and boy, I tell you, the testosterone was high in the room. Nobody had a sin. Nobody had a fault. Nobody had anything. Everything was great. And I think sometimes men feel like that. If I show vulnerability or I share a feeling, man, there's something wrong with me. Yes, that's true. I'll push back a little bit on the comments that the young ladies made. Sure. When I'm vulnerable as an older man, it's pretty easy for me to get younger guys to open up. Okay. If they are in the right setting. But that's the problem is the older men, the ones who should be, are not showing vulnerability. They're not saying things like, yeah, I get tempted by a woman. I struggle with pornography. Whatever our issue might be, we don't open up about it. But if you just open up that door a little bit, they'll step in pretty fast. And I've said, because we have all these discipleship groups in our church, men with men and women with women, I have had some complaints from some of the women not a whole lot, but just enough to give me a, an idea of what's going on, that it takes the women a very long time to build that trust to the point where they will become vulnerable. So my suspicion is that these young gals have had long-term relationships with these other women to the point where they feel comfortable to open up. But in a matter of just a few hours on a retreat, I got guys to open up pretty wide about what they are really struggling with. There wasn't a single topic that we did not cover. And then guys were asking for prayer and then they were opening up in front of the other guys, you know, I'm. but the setting has to be right. We're out in the woods, we're in cabins, we're in a safe place. Men will open up with one another. It's just sad because there aren't enough of those kind of opportunities. And if you are a, um, a young man and you're living in a home with a single mom, who are you to talk to? Who are you to share with? And you're seeing a lot of things come through your phone and a lot of things come through social media and television that you are extremely confused about. And you're you're only, you're getting 99.9% of the world's view of what a man is. And 
it can be very shaming, very shaming. And they, they need a place where you just take that cover off. You take that cover of shame off and now they can open up and, and talk. I really like that. One of the things these young ladies were talking about is that men need therapy. Now, you know, I guess I, I, I kind of push back a little bit on that, a little bristle. Yeah, they that. need to go shoot guns. That's <laughs> therapy. Well, yes, that that's true, too. Or ride their motorcycles. But here's the deal. I think that what you're talking about at the retreat was therapy. You know, it wasn't going and sitting on a couch to a psychiatrist and saying, Doc, I'm all messed up. No. But it's about relating with an older man or older men and each other, which I think is very important for men. And most of the time, Pastor Walt, men don't get it. No, the church has an opportunity here to create an environment for men to be around other men. And that's why the majority of our growth has been among young people, because young men are responding to the opportunity to be with an older man, to spend time with him. I'm really excited about this, but there's a group of young guys in the church that said, hey, we're going to the fair after church on Sunday. You want to go with us? They're going to let me tag along. Oh, my goodness. But they're going to have to take a nap. I know. I am. <laughs> well, they have youth group after, so I'll take a nap, and then, then we'll go after youth group. We have youth group after church. But they're going to let me tag along. Mm. And they like me. Wow. You know, we're friends. Wow. We have good relationship. I get texts from these guys sometimes throughout the week, and they'll say, hey, how you doing? I'm just thinking about you. Is there anything I can do for you? I'm praying for you. I'm really blessed as a pastor because I've fostered and developed those relationships. And it begins with the pastor because you and I have talked many times through podcasts about how we were trained as pastors, don't get close to people. And coming out of that retreat, there were a lot of things I said that any one of these men could take and twist it around and spread it around the church and say, hey, look at this is what the pastor said and this is what he's talking about. I have to be vulnerable. I'm not going to get them to open up unless I open up. And there were not enough, but enough older men in the church to share our experiences and our struggles early on in marriage and even to this day through marriage, how you're constantly working on it. One of the girls said to me or said in the conversation that she likes to ask people, men primarily, that she has relationship with friendships or co-workers, etc. And she's learning this from her husband because she says, what's the trauma in your life? Let's talk about it. <laughs> That's pretty bold, right? However, she's learning it from her husband because there was some trauma in his life early on and he's never dealt with it. Like you said earlier, stuff, 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 stuff. And so it's made him, well, he's hesitant about all kinds of stuff, especially relationships. So what do you do with trauma? Do you try to get down when they open up to the trauma in their life and pinpoint it, laser focus on it? I think this is one of the good things about this generation. Everything has some good things. This generation is a little bit different. They are more compassionate. They are more in tune with how people feel. They have been... It's a distorted view, but they've been taught anti-bullying, those kind of things. I remember just a part of life was bullies in school, and that caused me some trauma, some hurt. I remember getting off the bus one time, just bawling my eyes out. And think I think back on that kind of stuff, and you know, it doesn't really affect me today, but it was kind of a painful time in my life. That's the extent of my trauma in dealing with other young men growing up, but... I think about all the men that I met that have been in 
the war in a war or in battle they never want to talk about never only one time in my life do i remember an older guy talking about his battle in the pacific and his hand-to-hand combat with another japanese soldier and how he had to kill him these guys came home from the war and I think a lot of them just went out to the garage and spent the, lo- the rest of their life there and never dealt with the trauma in their life. But I think there's something different about this generation. They are, again, in the right setting and with the right person, they are willing to open up about, about the trauma. And I think for men, it's simply a matter of talking about it. So I went for some counseling when I was in my mid-30s. I was really struggling with anxiety. And I sit down with this counselor who is recommended to me, and I ex- explain to him my childhood and my experience. And the first word out of his mouth was, I can fix this. And I was, I was elated. Hmm. And he said, you got this and this and this, and this is why you're this way. And it made perfect sense. And I didn't even have to go to him for that long. I don't know if we went through five or six sessions, and that was it. Hmm. I was fixed. Hmm. And the issue wasn't solved but i could handle it and i could understand it interestingly i just thought about this i went to see a woman for one session before that and the things she was talking about scared me and i came out of that session and i i think it was the darkest day of my life i was very very depressed because i felt so hopeless and i'm sure it just had a little bit to do with the counseling skills and their approach and the setting but when i went to this guy and he just within 15 minutes said, I can fix this. Mm. He gained my confidence and the problem was solved. So as we end our conversation today, Pastor Walt, what would you say to somebody who's out there, a young man, and he's struggling with his masculinity, he's struggling with his role in life, he does, he's confused, he, he doesn't know where to turn. What do you say to him? Well, I'll tell you what I did at the retreat. So we had a young guy, and I really think this young guy's got some major potential. And then we had one of his mentors there. And I said, all right, now you turn to your mentor and repeat after me. I really respect you, right? I really respect you. And I appreciate all you've done in my life, but I wanna go deeper with you. I actually wanna have an intimate relationship with you. So people who accuse me of being chauvinism, I'm trying to draw men in those kinds of relationships where they can say, I want to be close to you. I want to be intimate with you. I want to know you. I want you to be in my life. And so he did. He carried that. I said, that's pretty awkward. And he goes, man, that's really awkward. <laughs> I guess. But I said, that is exactly what you need to do. Yeah. So I would say to any young man, find a man that you trust, that you admire, that you respect. You should know a little bit and ask him those same things. I, will, I respect you. I see what you're doing in your life. And so then I asked all of the men who are older here, how many of you would jump at the chance to hear that from every one of them raise their hand? Because it makes us feel good too. Mm -hmm. We have a place, we have some contribution. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of what is missing in our lives of all men is we don't have these opportunities and these settings provided. We come to church and we sit and we listen to a message and we go home. And nobody ever says, you got something to contribute. You have something to give to another man. And you have a place in your life, in your in your wife's life, in your children. They just need clear instruction. It's remarkable, the results that come out of some of the efforts that we've made in our church. So people are listening today and they like what they hear. 
Pastor Walt McFadden, you're the senior pastor at City View Church in South Minneapolis. Tell us a little bit about the time of the services and what can they expect if they decide to hear more from you. Well, you can go to our website, cvcmpls.org, City View Church. We are on the corner of 4th Avenue South and 31st Street in Minneapolis, services at 1030. And when you come, you'll hear about life groups and discipleship and some of the other opportunities that we offer. We are bringing a bold statement about Christ. He's our only hope to face the darkness in our day. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today and please let us know your thoughts on our topic. We want to hear your feedback and your concerns as you think out loud. Please visit us at cvcmpls.org. That's cvcmpls.org.